So, Becca, on this episode, we have someone that I think, you know, I guess I'll get to learn as we go along, that has spent a lot of time in nature. So I know, I know for me, like, if I was, like, in nature and I was, like, sleeping overnight, I don't know if I would make it through the night, but... I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm not... I don't, I'm not but I do love nature. Like here in Cleveland, we have so many great like parks. They call them the metro parks. And I always feel like so, so at peace and like just, it kind of just nulls the sound of, of the crazy world, a noisy world that we live in. So kind of what's your kind of experiences with um, nature? I'm a big nature baby. I love nature. <laughs> I like to get dirty. I like to sleep outside. I like to shower outside. Um, I, uh, it clears my brain. And as somebody who grew up in New York City, um, the one thing that nature does for me that no other place can do for me is remind me how small I am. Like, it just reminds me to be small and humble, especially out here in Colorado. One look at the mountains and you feel like an ant. And it's like that feeling, that reminder that your problems aren't as big as you think they are. And that, you know what I mean? Like, just reminding you to be humble and small. Um, and that's what I love about it. It's part of the reason that I moved out here. Um, I like to be barefoot a lot. I don't like to wear shoes and socks um, and stuff like that. I'm really an outdoors baby um, who grew up in, like, tr being tortured by New York City all the time. So, yeah, but I think this is interesting because I'm now adding it to my mental bucket list for Doug. Uh, now we're doing stand-up comedy, <laughs> tattoo, and now I'm going to get you to sleep outside. One night. I have, so One night sleeping outside. I've never in my entire life. It will freak you out to know that Dennis will sleep outside on a hammock and no tent and no nothing. Wow. We are truly outdoor people. Um, and he's somebody that I really enjoy spending time with and someone I really enjoy talking to. So I think you will like him too. Um, let's welcome Dennis. He is somebody who I'm excited to share with the world, which is fun. Um, really good person. Welcome, Dennis. Thank well, you for joining you us. Yeah. So, yes, he is a nature guy. You are not a nature guy. You will learn about those <laughs> things, though. Um, I think if you, you should, that's what you should do. You and your wife and the dog should take a whole trip out here to Colorado. You'd all love it. I promise. I've, I've always wanted to go to Colorado. You'd fall in love. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, let's see what you got for questions, Doug. Yeah. So, so Dennis, um, what kind of, what's your, um, experience with nature? It, it seems like you are a big hiking guy. Is that true? Well, it, it's. Uh, I'm a lot less big than I used to be. I've gone about 40 pounds in the past year, largely as a result of being active hiking out here in Colorado. Uh, but I didn't start out as a nature guy. I, I grew up in a family that rode and raced motorcycles. I raced um, extensively in my youth. And our idea of being out in nature was to hop on a dirt bike and go tear up the woods. Um, so I've kind of come uh, 180 degrees from there. Yeah, be, being out in nature and, and just in general being away from man-made things, man-made chaos, uh, I found that that's really where I, where I feel at my best. And other than uh, hiking, what are kind of like your, what do you love doing? What are your special interests? I love to, uh, along with, you know, there's hiking and there's backpacking and take off and go hiking for a few days and carry what you can. 
also like to kayak. I've been doing a little bit of whitewater rafting. Uh, most of my kayaking has been on flatwater rivers, uh, being a fishing guy You're an observer. Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, and I, and I uh, that's, that's a big part of my motivation uh, is to get out there into the wilderness and, and pull up a patch of grass up on the Continental Divide or under some pine trees under the uh, lake that's down below the Continental Divide. Uh, it's definitely that, that peaceful, that sense of peace, I guess, that I get out in those places. Um, which motivates me to throw a pack on and plug it up a few thousand feet to keep on going. Now, I've always wanted to go backpacking. I've never done that. Um, but I, it, it, I get scared when I see all these movies about backpacking and it ends in a, in a bad result. <laughs> so if I was to to go on my first backpacking adventure, like how, how would you suggest I, do, I go taking those first steps? Um, I would, I would probably um, enlist the guidance of someone who's an experienced backpacker and see if they wouldn't go along with me. Yeah. Um, that's something that I really enjoy doing is introducing people and, and showing them, okay, here are the things that out there, and it's going to be okay if you wear the same shirt two days in a row, or eight days in a row, whatever it may be. Um, throw in an extra pair of socks, maybe an extra pair of underwear, but other than that, pretty much the same clothes. Uh, pack a set of uh, sleeping clothes, and pack them in a watertight bag or something so that if it rained on, at least when you get into your sleeping bag, you have dried clothing to get into. Um, I, I think that's a big a big thing is to find someone, probably someone in your circle that you might know who has experience with backpacking, and see if they would take you up. And another a good, a good trial run is to camp in the backyard. Yay! So fun! Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, e and even that, you, know, you don't really have to go anywhere. But, you know, I, I love to, in the summer months, go up and spring up in the backyard. Uh, my son Tucker, who's who's autistic, he used to declare usually sometime in May, Dad and Tucker will move to the tent. We'd go out in the backyard, we'd throw up our tent, and we would sleep in the tent all summer long. Nice. Uh, we didn't sleep in the house at all. And for a few years, 
because I, I, I kind of realized that being in a tent for him, it blocks out a lot of visual chaos. And it's like a little nest. Um, and I realized that he is more comfortable in a tent than he was anywhere. So I, I bought a, a, like a yard sale two-man tent, took it into his bedroom, and took the bed out, we got rid of everything, we set up the tent, threw in a bunch of uh, El Chico sleeping bags, the real silky ones, from, from Walmart, Drew in a bunch of pillows, and that became his bed. And he loved no place more than he needed. We strung a little cord in there so he could plug in his iPad or iPod or whatever he needed. Um, but it really became a, a bit of a nest for him. And I've, I've suggested that to a lot of parents. Who, uh, and I think we all understand that sometimes it's hard to find that comfortable spot. Some people they get it with, with a weighted blanket, maybe. Um, and for Tucker, it was always in the tent. So you, so you were okay. So you're out there in the tent. How do you fit your mattress in there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doug! You're <laughs> taking you. I'm gonna kidnap you in the night. I'm gonna make you wake up with twigs in your hair. <laughs> In a house share thing, came with the bed already. I haven't had a plugged in television in six or seven years. Freeing. It must be so freeing. So, so you mentioned uh, your son, and I saw, um, I think it was fairly recently, where um, it looked like maybe it was a Zoom call where you were reading The Boy Who Spoke to the Earth. Uh, it's a oh, yeah. Is it, I guess it's a book about a boy who asks the earth where he can find happiness. Yes, yes. Um, and that's, that's always been a, a, a very important part of our bonding, our routine as Tucker was growing up. Um, I did the single parenting thing with him for about five years, and I just had to figure out some things that really worked. Reading together became a huge uh, and, and in many ways, it was a, a bonding moment for us. Where, and, and I learned this from a woman who, um, she was a complete stranger, came to stay with our next door neighbor. We had her over for dinner one evening, and at the end of the evening, I walked her out to the porch, and she was going back to her house, and she said, um, "You have a remarkable talent." Or reading your son, understanding what he needs. There were several times tonight I saw you respond to what he needed. There was no verbal interaction at all. And Tucker is conversationally nonverbal, not speaking. She said that you know that's just amazing. She said I have worked in the uh, as a caregiver for 35 years. So I have picked up some strategies along the way, and I said, what do you think, what one tip would you give to me? Uh, Tucker was only 10 years, 10 years old at the time. And she said, the one, one thing that's been most valuable to me, I think would be valuable to any parent, 
is that when you get to a level of frustration or when something's not going your way, your natural inclination is to raise your voice. And she said, I have learned to lower my voice by the same amount. Mm. And that has been a tremendous amount. It's, you know, I, I often tell people that when you've got kiddos who are not, um, you know, when verbal is not their primary means of communication, they've got a processing delay of some sort. Um, you need to learn to listen with your eyes, your ears, and your ears are not enough. I'm envious of your relationship with him. It's, um, I have a very similar relationship with my mom where I didn't have to say things um, or she would, she had learned over the years how to kind of help me to process through certain situations like public situations and things. Um, and it became kind of like a non-conversation thing. And I think that is really the relationship that autistic kids appreciate the most with their parents because it's the, it's like, I don't have to work so hard. I don't have to tr work so hard in this and, and you'll help me to get through it. And I feel understood and heard and all of those things. Um, and I had that only with one parent. Um, and so I'm envious of your relationship with him and I hope other people out there are envious as well. Um, because we do, we communicate in so many more ways than just verbal. And so if you're focusing on only verbal, you're missing out on so much in people. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a, a talent that that we, there are skills that we develop, especially if we're in a relationship with a person who's not a verbal communicator, is we pick up skills and the ability to observe and learn, and that just becomes a, a universal benefit. It, it works with any group of people. I don't care how verbal they are, and I, I often, I don't place a lot of value on words. Actions and um, just observing people, I can pick up more than I can from listening to the words. Yeah. Sometimes the words don't match. Oh yeah, the action. Yeah. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense because most of our communication is not verbal anyway. Right. I, I'm you a. Know that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big believer in like energy, so I'm, I'm just wondering how much is it, you, how much do you think, um, you know, you talked about skills, but how much is it you just maybe just having a really good sense of your son's energy? Oh, I think that, I think that's a big part of it. Um, I, I really do. Um, but it, it's something that I guess I didn't realize I had until I had to have it. And I realized I need to place more, um, I need to stick with my gut when I feel something, mm -hmm. I need to honor that, rather than saying, you know, I'm, I'm probably off base, I'm probably wrong, I'm probably not interpreting that correctly. How much do you think that has to do with your own autism versus talks and how it all played together? Uh, well, I think it's got a lot to do with my own. Uh, I, I grew up. I never read a book in school. Until I was college age, I'd never read a book. Um, I couldn't pay attention to anything in a school setting. Uh, fortunately, 
I learned that if I um, if I did things that were funny, which generally would get me in trouble, or if I um, I guess mouthed off would be the the most correct term, uh, that I could mask the fact that I couldn't learn. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was popular. I, Council vice president and president, and won some dance contests, and I DJed the dances, and I played some sports, but I couldn't learn. Mm. Well, I couldn't learn in the school setting. Mm. I was learning plenty outside of the school setting, but in the building, yeah. not much. And of course, I was labeled as being lazy and uh, belligerent and that kind of thing, which I was fine with that. I didn't want to be labeled as stupid. We were talking about hiking and backpacking and all those things earlier. Um, um, you know, in terms of travel, um, where are some places you've, you've been to? Well, I spent my early 20s living in Japan military situation. However, I didn't fit the military mold very well because I like to live out. I was stationed in Japan for four and a half years. I like to live out in the Japanese economy. And I raced motocross with some Japanese people who took it to different places around the country. So I got a real I got a real uh, flavor for Japanese culture mm. and respect for one another. Uh, a, a good example is the whole face mask thing that our country seems to mightily with it. And I remember back in the mid '80s, if a if a local, you know, if one of my neighbors had a sneeze or a cough or felt, you know, some, some sort of a bug, he would wear a face mask. Mm-hmm. And you know, I asked, you know, what's the purpose of that? As well, it helps to protect us from getting our neighbors and our friends. Six. This was in the mid '80s. Yeah. So I come back to the U.S. in '88, uh, I guess it was, and I was shocked at the difference in the cultures. Um, whereas uh, the thing that went through my mind is, why are you people so mean to each other? You're disrespectful, uh, and I, I didn't understand it. And it hasn't gotten any better since then. Yeah. I, I, uh, but as far back to your question, I'm sorry, Doug. Uh, as far as backpacking, hiking, that kind of thing, um, we've got Rocky Mountain National Park right here in our backyard. I live in the Denver area. Uh, I had a few guys from Michigan come out last summer. We did a four-night trip. Um, had another friend come out from Wisconsin. She and I went up. Wilderness, absolutely stunning in places. That, uh, and there's also Indian Peaks Wilderness, and um, I've, I've hiked, uh, I guess, the first 300 or 350 miles of the Appalachian Trail, starting from Georgia, moving north up to Irwin, Tennessee. Um, done some hiking in Michigan, uh, Ontario. 
whenever people ask me, well, hey, I'm coming to Michigan, where's the best place for me to go backpacking? Bang for the buck, where can I see the greatest things? And, and say, Ontario. Like, oh, okay, great. Not in Michigan, apparently. <laughs> Not in Michigan? <laughs> well, it's close enough. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. The Sierra Nevadas have done some backpacking out there. Tucker and I did. Uh, I don't know if Rebecca shared with you or not, Doug, but in 2016, Tucker and I lived out of our minivan for a year. Uh, traveled around the country and visited 49 national parks. Wow. And I say visited 49 national parks, but I have to be careful because of the park units. Some of those are memorial uh, units or historical units. But, uh, probably 39 in proper national park. Yeah, you know, we did a little hiking, most of them. We camped out overnight in a couple of them. Um, there's, there's so much to see in this country. But I do, Nepal and the Himalayas is at the top of my list. Was there one place you, like, that was like the worst that you, you would never want to return to ever again? That's a good question because in 2018, my hiking partner, Linda, um, you know, once a year, once every other year, we would try and do a section of the Appalachian Trail. And our last trip on the Appalachian Trail, we decided we're not coming back because it just seemed like the scenery was the same, you know, for the past 300, 350 miles. Um, they had an exciting fair encounter, though, so that, that kind of spiced things up a little bit. But um, at least the Southern Appalachian Trail, I don't think I'll go back. Got lots of things down there that I'd love to see, but maybe get up into New Hampshire and Maine, that would be something different. But one, one thing that I've, I've surprised myself over the years is Anytime that Tucker and I would head out, even if it was a day hike for a local, a local nature center or somewhere in Michigan, if the weather was questionable, it seemed like we would get out there and be walking along and look up and go, you know what? It turned out to be a freaking gorgeous day. Uh huh. And this seems to happen now. Perfect. Hmm. Well, w was there anything we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to, to discuss? praise and support and whatnot in this in this area over the years and that is for parents um, who have a child who is either, either diagnosed as autistic or just exhibits some tendencies um, as parents you need to get over yourself <laughs> you become a parent it's no longer about you you need to tune into your child and what is it that moves your child? What is it that they enjoy? What is it that keeps them comfortable? What is it that helps them learn? You need to understand those things. And the, you know, John is going to be the quarterback, and that's kind of my thing. 
the state, forget about it. Understand what your your child is about. Honor your child. Um, take them by the hand and get in step with them. That is how you raise a healthy child. I don't care if it's an autistic child or not. Um, but you need to step aside and understand that you have a role for, you know, what we 18, 20 years, whatever it may be, and you're going to have a child under your roof. You need to help prepare them for adulthood. I don't, I don't mean by tough love. I mean by helping them to respect themselves and believe in themselves so that when they get out there, they're not easily swayed by the, I don't know if you're aware or not, but society has some shiny things out there that people like to check kids at. And I see this with a lot of the autistic parents that I know and interact with. Mm -hmm. I, I see them doing a really good job in that area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, I, I think that's the best. If I could lead people with anything, it's honor your child and work with them. Don't force them to do what you think they should be doing. Well, I think that just about takes us to our 11 questions. Are you ready for the fun questions? I am. Yay! This is my favorite part. I wait for it every time. <laughs> All right, Dennis. So, we, so the, kind of the first question we always start out with are, what are your pronouns? He, him, his. And what is your preferred stim? I would say, and I, and I realized that I developed this in my school years, but it was chewing the inside of my mouth. Yeah. Uh, very effective when you're masking. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and what is your favorite curse word? Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> It's a it's a classic that has <laughs> stand the the test of time. Who do you love, and what are you doing about it? Love the sun, and right now I am in the um, what's going to prove to be a long, difficult battle to restore his civil rights. Um, I, will, I will leave it at that. Mm -hmm. you know, I'll, I'll just say that the only, the only intention I ever had in raising him was to uh, help him become a healthy human being. Mm. And that's I'm fighting to get back the ability Um, tough to transition from that, but you may be neurotypical if? Value your own opinions above all else. Hmm. 
And a lot of my, a lot of my good friends are neurotypical. So, <laughs> or at least they think they are. Right. Uh, you may be autistic if... You are authentic as fuck. It's very painful to be that way. What's something you want to learn or to be better at? Um, I want to learn to play the guitar. And something that I want to be better at. Um, I go to I go to a lot of really cool places and I take a lot of photos with my iPhone and people are like, oh my god, it's beautiful and all that. <laughs> and just recently it occurred to me that you know maybe I should learn how to take photos before maybe going out. Uh, I, I once heard a, a uh, I'm a journalism journalist by the trade, but I once heard a, uh, a well-known photographer reply to the question. Uh, you know, what can you advise me to take be a better photographer? And his answer was, stand in front of better things. <laughs> that's and I thought, true. That, that's oh, perfect. That's a really good answer. Because <laughs> you can take a crappy photo of a really cool mountain landscape and people will ooh and ah. What? What? Autistic social media account uh, should people be paying attention to? Um, Nico Vaskovic. Mm. You guys familiar with Nico? Not well, but I've heard the name. He is a he is the most insightful teenager you will ever come across. Portland, Oregon, and he is able to take the autistic experience and relate it, in, I mean, just in such a vivid way that anybody can understand. Um, you know, from uh, talking about his uh, assistive communication uh, practices and and able to go back to a bullying situation when he was a little boy and explain not only his feelings, but the feelings of the person who was bullying. Mm. He's just, a, just an incredible young man. I would encourage anybody to uh, to to plug into him on on Facebook. It's N-I-K-O, Nico Boskovic. B-O, be like boy, O, S-K-O. Me like Victor Ice-T. Uh, I, I just enjoy him. And, um, I'm in a few, uh, as you know, Beck, I'm in a couple of uh, autistic community kind of closed or whatnot uh, groups. Uh, there's also a good one out there called Autistic Allies mm -hmm. that, that I highly recommend. As a matter of fact, I, 
have been working with the young parent in Virginia who is looking for a place that she and her husband can relocate because they've got a, a little boy who's autistic. And this mother gets it. Uh, done a lot of research and she's narrowed down to what kind of a community they want for their for their son. So you know, I was talking with her for a while today and, and said, hey, by the way, I don't know if you're on this autistic allies page or not, but I would recommend it. She came back and said, yep, I'm on there. <laughs> yeah. What? What's one thing in your routine you couldn't possibly live without? Good answer. Um, and to Becca's favorite question, uh, dog, cat, or must I choose? Um, yes, yes, and apparently I do choose, because right now I don't have a pet at all. We do have a big old burly black cat named Lucky. He and I are growing pretty tight here in the household. He's not my pet. But I will have a, 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 a pooch in the near future. As a matter of fact, the fact that we have a mutual friend who lives to the south of the Yeah. Yeah. She nearly got me to uh, go pick up a dog. Yeah. It's coming. You'll get there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And then uh, lastly, probably to the question that this uh, podcast is all about, what does autistic joy mean to you? I think I felt a pretty solid dose of it about a week. Um, I, I, I'm on board of directors for Autism Society in Colorado, and we run some support groups different groups of people, and one of them is for autistic people who are age 40 and over. And now that I think about it, I'm thinking about a couple of the young women that are in there, and they can't possibly be 40. But, um, it was so nice to be in that group for the very first time last Tuesday night. Um, because I, I came to a place in Michigan, uh, which comparatively Michigan is kind of in the dark ages with regard to neurodiversity, uh, autism acceptance, um, autism awareness is more of a thing there still than autism acceptance. Um, literally, I lived in a town which is the global headquarters for uh, the world's biggest chemical company uh, rhymes with cow um, but it's based in mid-Michigan and there are, you can't fill a stick without being an engineer but there is I will say no freedom for autistic people in that Michigan community to operate I see. Mm -hmm. So I come out here and I, I meet people on the street and I share with them, well, you know, I'm, I'm on the autism spectrum and, oh, well, you know, 
what is your experience like? It's not, yeah, I'm a little autistic. I, I, I find this this region along the front range here in Colorado to be very, very progressive and accepting of everyone, yeah. everything. And now I, I will also reveal that I am highly ADHD. So I don't know if I answered your question. You did. It was great. Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time and spoons to join us, Dennis. I appreciate it so, so much. Um, I really, really respect you as a human being, and I love spending time with you. So next time you're up and about in the mountains, you know where to find us. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time out. So I guess that's another episode in the can for us, and we'll be moving on to the next one.